We are in week two of this series. We just started kind of calling Refocus. And we're, we're painting the picture of we all have areas in our lives that we need to refocus, that we need new vision for, but also as a church, some of the things that we're moving forward in. And so today, as we jump into week two, I want to just catch you up real quick on where we were last week. Last week, we talked about this word vision, and we, we kind of started in defining what that means. And let me just give you a reminder. We said vision can mean a lot of things, but here's some things that we want to be cognizant of as we think about vision. Vision is the ability for us to align our will with God's. That was our big point last week. Now, the first thing we have to do if we want to have some kind of a focus and a purpose for our life is we have to submit it all to God. We said that vision is also the ability to see a preferred future and maintain a present focus. So it's that view of I've got binoculars that can see out to the future of what God has for me, but I also have those reading glasses so I can see things up close. So we've got to have both of those in our lives. We also talked about vision being action. That if you've got a future focus, if you've got some, some dream for the future, but you don't ever take action, that dream starts to turn into a nightmare because it can haunt you because you've never actually stepped any kind of action step into that focus that God has for you. Then I challenge you guys with four areas that I want to continue to challenge you in, to grow in, to continue to challenge you in, to have vision in these areas. And I gave you some practical steps. And if you weren't here, I'd go back and try to just watch that message and see what the practical steps were. But four areas that I really want us to grow in vision for is our spiritual growth. You need a vision for your spiritual growth. Your home life. So whatever your home is, we talked about just decluttering a little bit. Um, your relationships. We said some of y'all need to stop dating some of these bums because you don't got a vision of what scripture says about relationships. And your finances. We don't want to live broke. We don't want to live fearful. We don't want to live just constrained by what our finances are. And we talked about how scripture speaks a lot to those things. So we talked a lot about just aligning our wills. We talked about vision. And today I want to talk about a word that goes closely with the ver word, this word vision. But I've got a question to kind of start off with. How many of you ever had somebody just call you blind? And if you've driven, you've all had this before, okay? Now, how many of you guys, though, are actually, like, you've got glasses on, you've got contacts in, but if you take those things out, and this was, like, 2,000 years ago, you would be a blind person. Like, I, this is me, okay? I've got contacts in, but if I take them out, Y'all look like you're the blurry faces from the news, some crime victims or something. I can't, like, it's just, it's not happening. People sometimes find out my prescription and like, how in the world? And like, just chill, okay? Um, but here's the even cooler thing is, how many of you guys that can't see real well, maybe you wear glasses, have ever driven without them? Raise your hand, be honest, come on. Y'all are bad, Okay. <laughs> Uh, my hand is right there with you, though, because I've done this before, and I'm going to tell you something that I did that was really stupid. Um, so a couple of years ago, it was about a year and a half ago, my right eye started kind of just going haywire. And it was a, a season of a lot of stress. My dad had passed. There was a lot of things going on at the job I had. It's just, you know, sometimes you go through those seasons that are really full and really stressful. And my eye started, like tweaking out and it would get really puffy it would close up all of a sudden I'd lose vision and then it'd go away and it'd be back to normal and I was just like what is happening what is going on with this with this eye and so 
our, my optometrist, our eye doctor, she was actually a part of our small group. She's a friend of ours. She's like, you need to come see me. And I'm like, fine, okay. So I go, and I'm going back and forth, and she's like, I need to see it when it's puff, when it's like, because uh, she's been in, she was in small group, but she had seen it like that, but she needed to see it like with all of her tools and equipment. She's like, if you need to call me, call me, whatever. So we're at this moment where my eyes all puffed up. So I'm down to one good eye. And you know, usually if you've only got one good eye and you might ask somebody else to drive you to the optometrist, not this guy. I can make it there. One, just squint and go, right? So I squint and I get there. My eyes all jacked up and she's looking at it and I don't know all the goofy things that they do um, but she's trying to help me out she ends up giving me a prescription which this is a total side rant this has nothing to do with the message she gives me this prescription and I think it was like two months later I have a just a normal doctor's visit and so he asked this question that I'd never been asked before he said, so tell me, when, was, when did you just recently have herpes? <laughs> and I said, excuse me, what? I, and I'm, then I'm thinking to myself, have, have I had herpes before? Like, what is this? No. <laughs> she had prescribed me this antiviral thing that was also commonly prescribed for herpes, but it was for my eyes. So and I was like, no, I, that is... That, so, sorry. Anyways, <laughs> back to where we were. So I go to the eye doctor, and they dilate my eyes. And I've had my eyes dilated before, and I didn't really think much of, of it. But if you've ever had your eyes dilated before, and it's a sunny day. Uh, yeah, you know where this is going. So, you know, an optometrist's office is kind of darker. You don't really notice it a whole lot. And they, we finish everything up. She prescribes me my anti-herpes medication. <laughs> I go out the door. And if you've ever had your eyes dilated and you go out the door into sun, I am like, have I walked into the light of death? Like, what is happening? It was as bright as bright can get. I've got one eye that's not functioning anyways. It's super bright. And I thought, I've got a couple options here. I can call somebody to have them pick me up. I can sit and see if my eyes will adjust to this super brightness, which if you've ever had your eyes dilated, they do not adjust very quickly. Or I can do, like I said, what a dummy would do and just drive. I did what a dummy would do. Uh, but I did. I only drove across the street and I had lunch and I let my eyes kind of sit for a little bit. But we've all kind of, have you ever been there that before where you've had this space in your life with your physical eyes where maybe you've lost some clarity? Like you can't see the way you should. I remember my mom, she didn't realize that she had like her, she needed glasses until one day she was just joking around. I'm a kid. She puts my glasses on. She goes, oh, she's like, uh oh, she realized I didn't even know that I, that I had lost clarity because it was just such a slow thing. And it wasn't such a big deal. But once she saw that she could see something a little bit differently, she needed to start taking some action steps. Now, the problem a lot of, for a lot of us, it's not a physical clarity that we lack. It's a spiritual clarity that we lack a lot of times. And I think God looking down, he says, I don't want you walking around with eye and spiritual eye infections. 
I don't want you walking around with spiritual eye dilations where you've made things that aren't a big deal much bigger of a deal than they actually are. The reality is there are seasons in our life when things get a little bit blurry. You know, that stress kind of is what initially led my eye. Your body does weird things under stress and chaos. Our spirit can sometimes do the same thing. And when we come into seasons of maybe loss or grief, sometimes when we lose hope, we lose sight of the truth, the promises of God can start to become a little bit hazy and our spiritual clarity begins to fade. And there are times, you know, we're talking about your personal life, but there are times also in a church where a church can be effective in winning people for the lost and, and people are being baptized for nearly a decade and then something happens and it seems like clarity has been lost. Or pain has set in and things may seem a little bit cloudy. But whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's grief, loss, we have a God who wants to bring clarity back to our life. And it is my deepest prayer that today, as we go to Scripture, that we'll see that we have a God that can restore sight. And he didn't just do it then, but he can do it now. Amen, everyone? Amen. So since you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Mark chapter 8. So Mark 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 22. And it says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you for scripture. God, we thank you for our time gathered together. I pray that we would be an encouragement to each other. God, I pray that people that don't know someone would feel like they got to know somebody today, God. God, I pray that your word would speak true and loud. God, and if I need to get out of the way and you need to say something different, God, I pray that I would. God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. So before we kind of dive into some of the things I, I see in here, I think it's important to get a little bit of just the background. Um, sometimes we skip through the, the context and we miss some things. Um, first thing is just an understanding of where this scripture comes from. So it's found in the book of Mark. You know, if, if you're not familiar with scripture, there's four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the gospels, but they're, this, they're, they're people that are giving their accounts of living their life around, with, and beside Jesus. Some of them are telling the stories that they've gathered from other people. Mark is actually the shortest of these biographies, but many believe it's the first one that's written. A lot of people think that it's an account that's being written down by Peter, you know, Jesus' firsthand guy that's been there right beside him. But Mark is the only place where we find this particular miracle, this kind of two-stage progressive miracle, because we see Jesus touches him and then he has to touch him again. The book of Mark is the only one where we find this. But the sequence of stories in Mark's gospel are, are are in there for a specific reason in a specific order. We see Jesus talking about the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. He's talking about the, the, the spiritual blindness of, 
um, his, his followers, his disciples, and right there in the middle of this, he physically heals this blind man. And so when we see it in there in scripture is why we can go to this particular passage and say, okay, there's not just a physical miracle that's happening here. Jesus is teaching something spiritual as well. And so from that, we can then draw some spiritual applications. I never like to go to scripture and just say, here's what I wanted to say and I made it say that. No, we need to go, what is this actually saying? And is it okay for us to treat this like this? And so we're going here and the healing of the blind man serves as a dramatic illustration regarding spiritual sight and understanding. And the other part, background-wise, that stood out to me this week that I think it's important for us to understand is the location. I want us to pause for a minute to focus on where this miracle took place because it took place and it says Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is just this, it's a small fishing village up in the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this was the hometown of Jesus' disciples, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. It's a modest little town, mostly farmers and fishermen. It's just an ordinary place. But it was this ordinary place where Jesus chose to visit. It was in this ordinary town where Jesus chose three of his 12 disciples. It was in this ordinary town where Jesus performed miracles. It was in this unimportant, just overlooked, ordinary place became the backdrop for Jesus to reveal his power in his glory. So church, here's what I want us to understand. God still uses ordinary places and ordinary people. I was in Dallas this past week at a conference with a bunch of other church leaders. And, you know, you get to, to talk into some of them. And one of the first questions they ask, they like to ask just, hey, where are you from? Because they know there's a big gathering together. And so they'll ask, where are you from? And I knew I'm going to say a place. And they're going to look at me like, where's that? And so I'd tell them, hey, I'm from Paducah, Kentucky. And they'd give me the look like, okay, cool. And at first, I'm like, man, this was so much easier when I was from Clarksville. And I could just say, well, I'm from the Nashville area because it's close enough. I can't say that when I'm two and a half hours away. And at first, you know, I'm like, I began to think of it. And then I read this passage and I remembered where this place was. And I start to feel a little bit convicted. And God's saying, I can do extraordinary things in ordinary places. It doesn't have to be Dallas. It doesn't have to be Nashville or Louisville or, or St. Louis or Chicago. God can do amazing and ordinary things here in Paducah. We're an ordinary place and Jesus loved to visit ordinary places to do extraordinary things. Think about this. A quarter, so 25% of all the disciples were chosen from an ordinary town, including the one who would stand up in front of thousands and begin the church. Peter was from this place. I believe that God is going to do extraordinary things here in this church, in this city. Amen. That God is looking down at someone and saying, that's my Peter. That's the person that I'm going to start planting this place on. That I want to do amazing and incredible things. God still uses ordinary places to do extraordinary things. The same thing is true in your home, in your neighborhood, in your place of business. And I'm saying that because as we, as we get into this passage and as we move forward as a church, we've got some different statements that you'll start hearing more and more. And one of them is simply this. We love where we live. 
We love where we live. It's going to be a, a value statement for us because sometimes you forget and you start to not love where you live and you wish you were somewhere else. But there's something that happens when you just decide to say, you know what? I'm going to love where I live. Some of us get discontent even on our own homes and we think, man, I wish I had another place and I just, I hate that it leaks sometimes and I hate this thing and we have to just say, you know what? It may not be perfect, but I'm going to love where I live. I'm going to care for the place that I have. I'm going to get to know the place that I have. I'm going to love the place that I'm at. Because even if we're just from an ordinary town, God does extraordinary things in ordinary places because then only he can get the credit. And so we want to be a place that I believe this church can be a launch pad for leadership and impact, but it's only if we fully surrender to what God has because we're going to see later on in this passage that Jesus had visited this place and done amazing things, but eventually it's almost like Jesus said, enough with this place because they're not actually believing and following me as the Messiah. And I think as God begins to do incredible things in this church and in this town, we always have to remain focused that he is the miracle giver. He is the way maker. He's the one that does it all. And it's never because of us. He always has to get the credit. So this is the background. And today I'm going to give us not four points. I'm going to give us some questions. Some key questions based on this passage that I want us to think about. And the first one is this. Have I lost vision and simply adjusted to living blind? Have I lost vision and simply adjusted to living blind? A, a person who's born blind or has been blind for a really long time, their senses just adjust. And they get used to living that way. It doesn't mean that they probably prefer it, but their other senses will heighten. They become more aware of things. And physically... Like, that's amazing that they're able to do that. But spiritually, that is dangerous. And I'm afraid that many of us, I'm afraid that many churches have lost our spiritual sight and we're simply have adjusted to blindness. And instead of seeking God to restore our vision, we've just become comfortable lacking clarity. We've learned to lean on our, our other senses. We've learned to lean on our personal will. We've learned to lean on our fleshly desires instead of depending on, on God, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. The God of this age, this is not our God, this is talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have an enemy who wants to keep us lacking clarity and lacking vision. And I think sometimes we, as a society, have been blind so long that we begin to embrace these other things. We've adjusted to living in the darkness and this is why we've adjusted to being okay with marriages just falling apart. You know, there's over a 50% divorce rate also in the church. We've just adjusted that that's just a normal thing that happens. We've adjusted to living our lives, replacing generosity with greed and consumption and gluttony. Give me more, give me more. We've adjusted that living in doubt and anxiety is just, that's just a normal thing that happens nowadays in life. We've increased our senses on other things. We've increased our senses on how to make ourselves happy instead of how to make ourselves holy. We've become more focused on what makes me happy instead of what God says makes us holy. As church leaders, and I've been 
in the boat doing these things before. As church leaders, we've become way more focused on putting people into our system instead of helping people understand that they're sinners in need of a savior. And I don't want to just put people into the church system. I want people to come to Christ. Churches have become better a lot of times at sharing gossip instead of sharing the gospel. And these are things that we just, our senses have become strong on other things and we just don't even realize that we've lost clarity and lost sight. And I say no more, guys. Today we're saying, Jesus, restore our sight. We need to see clearly again. And we need your touch to make this happen. So I want to take a look at this blind man. Verse 32, where it starts, says, They brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to, talk, to touch him. I don't know who the they is, but they are the ones that brought him to Jesus. And they could have been bringing him there because they actually cared about him. And they said, we, want, we, we care about this guy and we want to bring him to Jesus. They could have brought him just because they, were, they liked seeing the miracle worker do his magic. And they're like, hey, let's bring him and see what Jesus can do. Either way, no matter what their motive, they had confidence that Jesus would be able to do a great work. And here's the thing I want us to see. They were just people, whatever their motive was, helping another person. And people helping people is actually really powerful. And we need to get back to a place where we're just people that are helping other people. An encounter with Jesus is what ultimately led to the miracle, but it began with a group of people helping another person get to, get to Jesus. And it speaks volumes because they acted, even like I said, I don't know what their motive was, but there was a level of faith that this guy can do this thing. So I'm going to take this and introduce him to Jesus. Now I want to share a little, just context-wise. Blind people were often seen as unclean sinners. Some, something that their family or they did made them this way. You know, we see other passages where they're asking Jesus, why is this person born blind? Did somebody sin? But they were, they were outcasts. They were taken care of to a minimal extent, but they were overlooked, just to, left to be beggars. But these people, whoever they are, they introduced him to Jesus, the one who could change everything. This person who had been overlooked was embraced and brought to Jesus. So here's my question. Who have we overlooked or undervalued that God wants us to introduce to Jesus? It's easy in our life to get caught up in our tunnel vision of who we're focused on. And we can stay narrow in our focus. And we tend to reach out to just the people that we're comfortable and familiar with, people who are like us. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to have a bigger vision. To see the faces of our city and our schools and our community. Guys, I can think of entire groups of people that Christians have decided to just write off. That we've just decided to avoid instead of introducing them to the one who can change everything and restore their sight. Remember, this guy started the day blind, but eventually he ends his day with clarity and vision. So who are we afraid to embrace, church? Who are we afraid to embrace, Christ follower? Those overlooked people that we've written off deeply matter to Jesus. 
And he wants us, he wants his people to introduce them to him. Blindness and loneliness breaks his heart, but he's said, you are my ambassadors. So we've got to ask him, Jesus, open our eyes wider to see the unseen. And here's what they did. He's blind. So he can't just magically get somewhere. They had to take him by the hand, embrace him, lead him to Jesus, and then hand him off so Jesus could embrace him. Sometimes we're so scared of embracing someone that may not think the same as us that we never have the opportunity to actually introduce them to a new embrace. Because we think that if we embrace this person, that means we are accepting everything about them. That is not what that means. They didn't accept that he was blind. They said, we need to embrace you so we can introduce you to the healer. So church, we need to be a church that embraces the hopeless, the outcast, the alcoholic, the abuser, the one struggling with sexual identity. And here's why. Because at some point, I was the outcast that was embraced by someone else who took me by the hand and said, let me introduce you to someone who has something way better than you, what you could ever imagine. And so we have to decide, I'm going to be a church and I'm going to be a person who embraces those who the church has written off and says, here, take my hand. Let me introduce you to Jesus. And when we become a church who embraces the outcast, we're preparing ourselves to experience an outpouring of God's grace. They embraced the outcast and Jesus did something incredible. The embrace, remember, this wasn't an acceptance. It was an opportunity for the blind man to be able to see. Our embrace of the sinner, our embrace of the hurting, it's not saying we accept this. It's saying we love you so much that let me introduce you to Jesus. So as we move forward, we've got a, you know, we got a mission statement that we're, we're shifting and changing and just simplifying as a church. And it'd be good for you all to know the mission of this church is going to be simply this. We're going to be a church of people helping people meet and follow Jesus. That's it. We're going to be a church of people who are helping people meet and follow Jesus. Some churches say find and follow. Jesus is not seek and find. We're after run him down. What he needs is his people to help other people meet him. So we are going to be a body of believers who are helping other people meet Jesus and then encouraging each other to follow Jesus. So let's not be afraid to embrace those that the church has written off. I'm going to go after them. I want to embrace them. I don't want to be a church that's just doing church better than the other churches. That's not the church I want to be. I want to be the church that has a, an army full of people who are going out on mission every single week to say, who can we embrace that we can bring into this place so they can meet Jesus? Now, to make this even more personal, it was a they that brought them to Jesus. Some of you, Maybe in a moment of your personal life where you've lost clarity or you've lost vision. And this is why you need good God-honoring friends in your life. Because maybe you're at the place where you're kind of like the blind man. And your friends are just bogus and they're not helping you. you need some, we need to make some good, strong, godly friends. That when they see us down, they say, hey, come here. Remember who you are in Christ. We need some friends that are pointing us back to Jesus, that are praying for us, that are there with us. 
It's important for us to be, to surround ourselves with other believers. And the ways that we can do this, being in groups together, a huge one that we have strong now is serving together. Some of you guys, you know what you can do? If you've never served, start big. We've got a big serve coming up. October 28th. Write it down. Our big serve is on October 28th. And we've got some projects that we're going to start letting you guys know about. You know, probably starting next week of some ways that we're going to take that Saturday. And it's just not far after relaunch. And we're going to go into our community. And we're going to start embracing and saying, hey, let me just do hands and feet action and embrace and introduce. And as you do that, you will get to know some more of our church. You'll get more excited about what God is doing here. It's also why we're doing the a young adult gathering. Because we know when we can put people that are of similar age groups and similar mindsets around each other, they can begin to influence each other. They can begin to care for each other. This is why church is important. Because it's people helping people. So the man is brought to Jesus. And then Jesus takes the blind man. He takes him by the hand and he begins to lead him. Jesus decided... I'm not going to do the healing right here where everybody thinks I'm going to do it. But instead, he took him alone and he took him outside of this village. And remember, Jesus didn't have to do this. We see Jesus in scripture. He could just speak and somebody would be healed. And if honestly, if I was the blind man, I would have probably preferred that. Like just, just say a word and I'll be healed. Just a simple touch and I'll be healed. But Jesus took him by the hand and he began to lead him somewhere different. And for the blind man to trust somebody else's hands would have been an incredible act of trust. He had, to get, he had to get to a place where he could gain clarity, but it started with trusting that this guy that's now got my hands, that's leading me out of this town, is actually going to help me. If we want clarity in our life, gaining clarity will take giving up control and trusting Jesus. I want us to have vision and clarity, but it means giving up our control and saying, okay, my hand's in yours. Jesus, where are you going to take me? And that's hard for us because we like control. I don't know about y'all, but I like to be in control. And we don't trust real quick. We're hesitant to trust quickly. Because how many times has somebody said, trust me? And it didn't go out the way that you thought it was going to happen. Right? They said, trust me. I got kids. Here's some that I've heard. Dad, I can drive. Trust me. And then we end up in a ditch. <laughs> Dad, it really, this is the worst because my kids. Dad, it really isn't that spicy. Trust me. And then I'm downing milk and spitting into the sink and thinking I'm going to die. Trust me, Dad, I won't break it. No, you didn't break it. You just lost it. Maybe I just have problems with my kids. That's all. But the reality is, Trust sometimes is hard for us to give up, and trust takes time. And when somebody trusts really, really quickly, we call them naive. But when somebody trusts Jesus really quickly, we call them faithful. And we see from this blind man that he, we just overlooked this, but that's a great level of trust to allow this person to now lead me out of a place of comfort, to lead me out of a place that I knew so well. He took the blind man's hands, and he guided him. He would have had to guide him around some obstacles. You know, sometimes we're going to embrace somebody who's hurting, and we're going to put him in the hands of Jesus, and he's still got work to do. I got to lead you around some stuff. I got to lead you through some things. 
And I, I, that led me to kind of, when I was reading this, I thought, why didn't he just heal him right there? Why did he do it like this? Why did he do this like this? Why did he lead him out of town? This was no small little thing. It wasn't just like going out, you know, to the end of your road. This was a task to lead him out of there. Why did he do this? And one of the reasons may have been a rebuke of this town, saying, I've done enough of this pl- things here. Y'all aren't getting it. I'm going to go outside of this place. But another meaning, and remember, we can look at this from a spiritual perspective, is a lesson that Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples and us. In order for this blind man to get healed, he had to remove him from distractions and dependencies. He had to remove him from distractions and dependencies. Jesus led him away from the village. He separated him from all of his dependencies, all of his distractions. And many times... The reason we never get clarity is because we're so dependent on something that we never allow God to lead us away from it. Think about it. He had to be reliant on somebody all the time. His life was not his to live. And so for him to be taken out of his comfort, to be led to Christ, that would have taken giving up something. What have we become dependent on? What have we become dependent on that we are not allowing God to say, let me take you away from this thing. Some of us, we have no vision or sight for our relationships. We have no vision or sight for where we want to, what we want our marriages to look like because we've become dependent on other things. We've become dependent on an unhealthy relationship at work. We've become dependent on pornography instead of seeking to be intimate with our spouse. Some of us, we can't seem to control our anger or worry because we've become dependent on watching the political news. So the question is, what do you need to step away from in order to focus more on God? And then this leads this to this place. Jesus spits on him. And I looked, I'm like, why is he spitting on this guy? And I studied it this week to try to, and I, I looked up commentaries, and I'm, this, this is some of the things. The ideas were all over the place. It says they, he spit because it was soothing. It was spiritual. Another one said it was an act of defiance. Another one said there's healing microbes in spit. What does that mean? Um, there was all these different ideas. Some were stupid. Some were interesting. But it led me to this. No one really knows. And it, it just gave me a place to remember Jesus can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And I don't know why he did it, but I do know this. That would have been disturbing and discomforting. Hearing somebody spit and then put it in your eyes would have felt a little strange and awkward. But what if God wants to do something unfamiliar with your life and in this church because he wants to bring you to a place of clarity? I don't sense any big, huge shift, but if God looks down at our church and wants to spit on something to bring something new to us, all right, I'll take it. That's weird. But we have to ask ourselves this question, am I willing to experience momentary discomfort in order to receive spiritual clarity? And then Jesus separates him and he asks the question, do you see anything? And that's where we're going to pick up next week. He asks them this question, do you see anything? Jesus didn't usually ask questions after his healings. There's a reason though this is done this way. And, and I want to end 
By you asking yourself this question, do I see anything in my life? How's my vision for my life? Like, do I see a future? Do I, do I have a purpose? Do I know where I'm moving towards? Do I see anything? So to just recap, here's the four questions that I want us to, to really see in this passage, this first part. Number one, where have I lost vision? And it's simply adjusted to living blind. Where have you lost clarity? Now you're just used to living that way. Number two, who, who have I overlooked and failed to embrace? And God wants me to say, okay, you know that person you talk to every day? Just embrace them. Introduce them to me. Number three, what do I need to step away from in order to focus more on God? What is that thing I've become dependent on that I need to say, I'm willing God to lead me away from that because I know he has something better. And the last one is just simply that. How's my vision? And next week, we're going to talk about the miracle that happened. And it's this two-step thing and why and all of that. And we're going to look at what God wants to do in your life and in this church. But today, I want you to think through those questions. For some of you, this is the day when you just need to say, I need, I need the hand of Jesus just to embrace me for the very first time. He's got a vision for you. We talked about this. His vision that none should perish, but all would come to a saving knowledge and have eternal life. But we have to admit, I've sinned and I need a savior and to repent and to turn from those things and to turn towards Jesus. Jesus is always going to be our message. I don't want you guys just to have better lives. I want you to have holy lives. I want you to be people that are closer to Christ. So if you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day. We'll start there. If you are a Christ follower, though, ask those questions of yourself and let's start progressing closer to him. Let's pray.